0: Our lesson comes out of Luke chapter thirteen, verses thirty-one through thirty-five. Yesterday, about yesterday evening, I guess uh, I got the privilege of being the main speaker at the Gideon State Function last night in Albany, uh, which I considered a great honor and get thing. so I thought it was pretty neat. Got to be out there for that. And uh, but after me was this other Gideon International guy. He goes around and helps goes all over the world, and helps set up Gideon camps in other countries. And he had pictures of all these different countries where these people, you know, where, he, where he had been. And there was a guy that was a Gideon in, I want to think Nigeria. I could be wrong in the country now. He gives his life to Christ because of the Gideons. He comes along. He's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He gets beat up. His nose is brutally broken He's thrown in jail for three years because of his faith. After three years, they give him out, and they give him his Gideon Bible back to him. It's a little that little itty bitty one. They give it back. He doesn't go straight home. He goes back to City Square and starts proclaiming the Word of God again. They beat him up again and they drag him to a little fake court system they have. And the guy, the same people three years ago that put him in there. And there again, the guy says, why do you keep doing this? And he shared his testimony in the back of a Gideon Bible is a road of salvation. The captives, the people that did it accepted Jesus Christ. So the moral of that story is, if that was you, how many of us, when we got out of prison, would have went back to the place they captured me, or captured you, and started proclaiming the gospel? How many of us would have just went home? I mean, I'm the going home kind of guy, you know, I mean, I'm mean, i just going to be honest with you. But that man knew his mission. He's now a pastor, an evangelist pastor over there in Nigeria. And so that was a really neat story, but that kind of leads us where we need to be today. In the story of Luke chapter 13, uh, let us read this and we'll move on. Starting at verse 31, on that very day, some Pharisees came to Jesus he says, get out, depart from me, from here. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, and I perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, gather your, you as, as children, to gather the hen that gathers her under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And surely I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Christ. As we're going through Luke, which on Wednesday night, we're a lot further behind on Luke than uh, the other Bible studies I'm doing on, it, but that's fine. And when we get to chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus starts his journey to Jerusalem, and takes us all the way, brilliant, really, to the end of the book. Uh, he's going there. Jesus and this story right up front, right up front, what really what he's saying here is, you know, they're like, "Hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Herod wants to kill you." No, he's telling them is that I got a mission from God. Today I'm casting out demons, I'm curing people, and the third day I'll be perfected. He's talking about the the, the death and resurrection of himself. He's talking about in in a little span, he's talking about his mission here on earth in his life. He realizes that he is from the Father and that he has a mission here on earth to do. And nothing's going to change that mission until he's completed and he goes to the cross. And so we see this thing there, he's going out. And we really see it as a story, at least I see it as a story, of good and evil. Good and evil, and really good and evil, the good and evil story of the Bible starts in Genesis when the devil showed up in the garden. And we've been battling evil ever since. Evil always tries to trump good. But do you know what the Bible says? Good always wins. Let me change the wording of that just a hair. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love being good will always trump evil and hatred. It will always trump it. And so we're here in the Lent season. It seems like to me a month ago already that we had Ash Wednesday. But we're in the Lent season, and in these 40 days... Uh, from Lent to Easter, we're here to be reflecting back on our life. And one of the things, those who come to uh, the Lent service was, we got the ashes on your, on your forehead, ashes, 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 you know, ashes you were formed, the dust you were formed, and the ashes, the dust you shall return. It is to remind us that life is short. The Bible says that life is nothing but a vapor. I don't know, I have, one of the first funerals I ever did was Miss Sylvester, and she was 104, or 106 years old. She was too young to die, and the family wasn't ready for her to go. I don't know what age it is that each and everybody, you know, the Lord has that day, but I don't know anybody that is ready to die, is ready to go home and be with the Lord. I don't know any family member that's really willing to lose mom, dad, brother, sister, or son or daughter. It's always too soon. Life is short, people. But while we're here, that dash from the day you were born until the day you go home to be with the Lord, there's a, a poem about the dash. We are to be living it for Jesus. We, are, we have a mission. We've been called to this mission. And we're reminded that the life's of favor and that death is the end of life unless Jesus comes up. It's appointed for all men to die once. And so we're all going to die. Death is inevitable. It's coming. But what we can change in our life is how we serve God each and every day, how do we serve God each and every day? Because regardless, death is coming. We can't get out of it. You got you know, death. You can kind of get out of taxes for a while, paying taxes, but you're going to die. You're going to die. You can't stop that day. And so we go along there. We got to realize what Jesus talked about: being in a mission, being in a mission for God, and serving God every day of our life. Has evil stopped? Is demons stopped? You know, think about this. We've been fighting this for since 2,000 years. We've had the power of the Holy Spirit to the church. You would think somewhere along the way we would be in a better world, would you not? But to me, it seems like the world's getting worse and worse and worse. And where's the church at? And I'll cover the church in just a minute. Oswald Chambers, some of us men are going to this devotional, Oswald Chambers, the utmost for his highest, or for the highest. A couple weeks ago, in the beginning of March, it sat there, that day's devotion was, each of us is called to the ministry. Each person is called to the ministry. He says, though, Oswald Chambers says, most of us serve God without a vision. Think about your life for a minute. What is your vision? What vision are you living out for God? A lot of us will have a little job in the church. We put a little money in the offering plate and we'll attend church on most Sundays and repeat after this Sunday, repeat after that Sunday, repeat, repeat. And I'm not saying that's bad. But what's our vision for God? What is our vision to change the world? What is our vision to change the Hall? What is our vision to change our church? What is the vision that God has put in your life that so your life is not mundane, it's exciting and you go in places and you're seeing people come to faith through Jesus Christ and lives changed. When was the last time you witnessed, you shared your faith? When was the last time that you seen somebody come to Jesus? Maybe we're not doing it right. Maybe we're going along. We want to know why the church is stagnant and dead. Not just us. All the churches are stagnant and dead. Maybe because we've changed the church into a fortress. You know, we've changed the church into this fortress, these walls, and we kind of hide behind our walls, and there's the little gun port. Of course, we don't have a gun or any ammo, but but we we peek out the gun port. Boy, look at how bad it is out there. Look at how bad it is out there. Oh, it's getting bad. It's getting in our neighborhood now. It's going here. It's going there. When are we going to leave the fortress and go and fight the battle on the streets? I always kind of look at church as more of a gas station. I don't know, people are going to think that's bad real quick. More of a gas station and a convenience store. As you're out there fighting life, and you're going along with life, you pull into the gas station. You're this journey in life, and you fill up a gas. You grab a couple of snacks and a big old Fort gulp, uh, with that, trying to think there big old gulp, big gulp, forty-four ounce drink, and you're off down the road into the next gas station. And you pull in on Wednesday, and you fill up a gas, get another drink, get another snack, and you're going. And life is exciting. You're traveling, and you're doing things, and you're, the, the church is the gas station that when you're running low on the Holy Spirit, you come in for a fill up. And you're in there for the fill-up, and you're going along, and we're going along, and you're meeting other people at the gas station. You meet the craziest people at a gas station, do you not? Especially the big one. You meet the craziest people there. And, and so that's where you go along. We meet the craziest people in church, too. And, and we go along, and we're on our life in the journey. But so much today, and I just praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord every day that you don't have a marquee. Unless you can get a computer, generator, we don't want a marquee. Because I know churches that put up that marquee, we'll put a sign out there. Maybe they'll see the sign and they'll come in. Maybe they'll do this. People those days are gone. How do you get to church, people into church? You need to go out into the world, befriend them, and let them see Jesus in you, and you invite them into that relationship with us. And so we're going along there. The church has sometimes come into this fortress. But I look at verse 34 here real quick. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, you know, uh, and stone those who are sent to her. I look at how many times, this is a funny thing about the military. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. You know, I talked about going to leadership school. And, and you go to leadership school, forget everything you learn. This is the way we do it here. How many times has a new person come to church and they "Here, and they've been in church for a couple of weeks." Man, I got some great ideas. Or it could be the lap hall celebration. It could be the play. It could be anything. It's all the same. I was involved, been involved with ham radio. I'm involved with the motorcycle club. It is all the same. Hey, I got some great ideas. Why don't we do this? We've never done it that way before. Shut up. Sit down. This is the way we do it, and that's just the way it's going to be. Am I right? <laughs> hey, am I right? And we wonder why the Christian organization as a whole, I mean, I'm not talking just Methodist, as a whole in America is dying. Because when the Holy Spirit moves in and somebody comes up with an idea, hey, you know what, there's this need for ministry over here. Let's, get, let's all get rallied around and go do it. Oh, no, we don't do that. Oh, no, we don't do that. I was at a church one time about helping helping uh, uh people who lived in the the projects or the government-assisted homes. And they go, well, you know what? They get money from the government. Why do we got to do anything for Thanksgiving or or Christmas for them? You know, all of a sudden we come up with excuses why, why we can't help somebody else. You know what? We've never done it that way before. That will be on the front of most doors of a church as it closes. We've never done that before. Back when I was in the military, I got my last two assignments. One was in Texas, one was here. I was put in charge of a unit that was failing. And so my job was to bring it back out. And, and both, both times, they both were very successful. Both places, very successful. And I remember being interviewed by this general and he asked me, he says, what is your key to success? Everywhere we send you, you're very successful. I said, sir, most people wait for opportunity, walk in the door and they try to decide, do I want to mess with it or not? I walk out the door and I grab opportunity. Sometimes it's somebody else's opportunity. I beat them up and take it, and I make it mine. Opportunity's not coming in the church much anymore. We need to go outside and take opportunity outside because there's a lost, hurting world that's outside. And we need to find those lost, hurting people and that opportunity to witness to them and make it ours, make it a story that we can tell about Jesus and how Jesus Jesus healed the lost the sick, the lame. Make that our story. Our story about how God worked through us. See, our life should be about God. And most of us here, I'm going to say everybody here has surrendered their at their, least their, their, their sins to Jesus. You realize, you know, why did you get saved? Well, Jesus washed away my sins. That's what most of us say, is it not? But Jesus didn't just want your sins. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we probably got a closet where we're hiding a couple of sins still that we don't want nobody to know about. But that's a whole thats between you and God. But so we get down to this point is that God does not only want your sins, he wants your life. He wants all of you, not only your sin, but your life, not only your agenda. He wants to change your agenda to his agenda. And he wants you to live for him, even if it kills you. Most of us, and I've talked about this before, company included here, have a limit to what we will do for God. We'll have a limit. We all know that one word Satan has taught us so well. No. No. We know that way too well. And so I asked a question to you today as we get ready to wrap this up. On this journey, we're reenacting the journey. Every Lent season, this is what we do. We find ourselves on the way to the cross. When we get further down the road, we'll talk about the life after the cross. Uh, but right now, we're just getting trying to get to the cross. Where do you find yourself in this journey? Have you surrendered all? Have you surrendered all of yourself to God? As we close with the last hymn, you know, there's a difference in theology a little bit there. And I love my Baptist brothers, but I'm going to dog them for just a second. They still call this rail the altar rail. And so do we sometimes. But we, it was really the name, it's the communion rail, because Jesus has died and paid the price for all sins. But today, I want to join with my Baptist brothers and other churches like that. I want it to be the altar. If you have something that you have not surrendered to God, during the last hymn, I want you to come. This is the altar call, people. Come and give it to God this Lent season. If it's your agenda, if your priority is not about serving God, this is the day to change that. We are at the end of the days. The hour is close to coming where there will be no more days that we can offer our lives to God. And so the altar call today is if you have something, or maybe you just want to praise God. But I invite you, if you're willing, you don't have to, I invite you to come to the rail and to give it to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, our heavenly Father, Lord, as I wrote this sermon, as I reviewed it last night, as I reviewed it this morning, Lord, you already know that I've been here about three times or four times because I keep finding things that I want it to be about Larry. I want God on my terms. And that's just not how you do it. Lord, we just ask that all of us start putting God, our service to you on your terms, not ours. As we play this last song, search our hearts, Lord. This Lent season, search our hearts. Are we living our life for you, or we just got you in a little bit of our life and we're living it for us? And Lord, forgive us of our sins and let us turn and live for you. And Lord, I'll ask you this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.